This is episode 99 of Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Today's guest is the voice of the Saskatoon Blades, Mr. 2000 himself, Les Lazaruk. Les joined me to talk about his time over 27 years spent in Saskatoon, as well as reflecting upon the time he spent in his hometown of Winnipeg, Manitoba, being able to work for local stations as well as the Winnipeg Tribune. So sit back and enjoy today's episode, but first, a word from our sponsor. If you're like most people, you strive to eat healthy as much as you can, but it gets really difficult when life gets in the way. We get busy, we're running around doing lots of things, it's hard. Being able to eat healthy on the go is super important more than ever now, and that's why I'm here to tell you about G2G Protein Bars. They're the best protein bar for eating healthy on the go. It's made with all natural ingredients, they're fresh, it tastes like homemade, but it's even better. G2G Bars have 18 grams of protein and are gluten-free. With eight different flavors, there's so many different things that you can enjoy about the great tastes of G2G bars and what they have to offer. They're fresh, healthy, and delicious. Make sure to get yours at g2gbar.ca or at your local retailer in Canada or the US. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Sit back and enjoy stories and insight from sports icons from all over. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Today, our very special guest, all the way from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, the voice of the Blades, Les Lazaruk. Les, it's a pleasure to have you on. And I think that they tack a new nickname onto you now, Mr. 2000, after an incredible feat of having one of the longest running gigs in the WHL. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Matias. Very kind of you to say that. I'll take Mr. 2000 as a nickname compared to some of the other ones I've been tagged with over the course of my lifetime. Trust me, some of them aren't all that terribly complimentary, so I'll take this one for sure. As it's been exercised over the past week and a half, an amazing achievement, only not up to, not quite up to the 4,000 that, that um, has been accomplished in this division before, but Nonetheless, since 1994, 2000 games is quite a remarkable achievement. And sometimes when you're in a position like the one that you've been in, there's not always a lot of time to sit back and reflect and say, oh, wow, look at all this time I've spent here. You just go to work, do your thing, enjoy the game. And then sometimes people poke you on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, you've been around for 2000 games. And they're like, oh, that's pretty wild. What has this ride been like with Saskatoon? It's been... Uh full of ups and downs as far as results go. It's been full of good times for the most part. Uh, there have been some bad times, but mostly good times because for the most part, I've found that people in this league in the Western Hockey League are really good people. There aren't a lot of bad people involved with junior hockey, uh, from the owners to the uh, management people to coaches, uh, trainers, athletic therapists, equipment managers, and then, of course, the players themselves. I haven't encountered many really bad people along the line over the course of what is now my 28th season doing uh, the Western Hockey League for the Saskatoon Blades. People in Western Canada, especially hockey fans, give a lot of strong attention to many of the teams that play across the division as it's a staple of Canadian hockey. And especially in the province of Saskatchewan, with there being no NHL franchise in, in the area, Saskatoon would then reign king in terms of the best hockey team that people would watch 
follow and almost treat like the NHL. And I'm sure as you've learned along your journey, many people across the province of Saskatchewan have followed junior hockey, sometimes even closer than people in other markets cheer for their NHL teams. Yeah, I think that would be true. And I think that though is starting to make its way over. There's so much available to folks here in this province. I mean, you can catch every Winnipeg Jets, Edmonton Oilers and Calgary Flames game played on television for free locally. I mean, you don't have to go on online and, and pay for it. You can get every every one of those three teams games. So that hurts, I think, to a degree, that whole stigma of of junior hockey being reigning king in Saskatchewan. I think that slowly but surely is is being lost a little bit. And the league has a has a battle in its hands in order to get especially younger fans to come back to the rink and to come to, to see games live. What you'll find some people are doing, especially young families, is saving up money that they would normally use to maybe buy season tickets or buy a flex pack for their Edmonton, or we're going to go to Calgary, or we're going to go to Winnipeg and go watch a couple of NHL games because the schedule works out that way. So those are things that the Western Hockey League and junior hockey in general, the junior A franchises as well, are battling against right now. And it, uh, are getting a bit of a raw deal when it comes to it right now. Uh, I would like to think that at some point in time, once we get back to a little more normalcy, especially when it comes to uh, COVID-19 getting away from us maybe and restrictions being taken away, that folks will start to realize that they've got a pretty good thing still in their backyard that's worth supporting. It is definitely a tough battle, as you mentioned, with the expansion of access to NHL games to CFL games, NFL is a thing that's continuing to grow in popularity with no signs of slowing down. But back in the day, it must have been something that was a lot more prevalent to see packed arenas, whereas the struggle in more recent times is definitely something that the Western Hockey League, and as you mentioned, across the whole CHL is an issue that they'll have to look and see how can we combat this. They can't get rid of the professional leagues that people want to watch. So finding ways to create balance will sustain a better fan base for local WHL teams, especially in Saskatchewan. Well, and it's going to require marketing. It's going to require a really enhanced in-game experience for fans to come and enjoy. It's not now just about the game anymore. You've got to be able to treat fans to something in the building beyond just the game. And whether it's the intermissions or the timeouts that they're now taking two of them per period uh, in order to create some atmosphere within the rink. Uh, the more creative you are, the more fun you can have for the for the people that are attending the game, uh, while keeping in mind that you still have a base of older fans who are there for the game expressly only, although those numbers are coming down as attrition happens, but you've got to find a way to strike that balance between what you're able to present in-house beyond just the game and making sure that the game itself is really good. And for the most part, that game is still really good. In fact, it's not that far off the National Hockey League because a lot of the kids playing eventually end up going on to professional hockey. And you get the stars and you can see them playing right before your eyes right now, a couple of years in advance of when they get to the National Hockey League. That makes me think of the success that the Winnipeg Ice have been having in the last few seasons, being a brand new team to Winnipeg. It's been a while since there has been junior hockey in the city of Winnipeg. The Brandon Wheat Kings have reigned supreme for quite a long time. But 
there was some chatter about the worry of what bringing another hockey team to Winnipeg would do if it would hurt the attendance of others or if it would not succeed because of the Jets and the Moose. But you look at what the Winnipeg Ice have been doing in the WHL, especially with some of the stars they've had, like the Connor McClans, uh, Connor Geekies. They've been quite successful and I think blown people out of the water with how well they've done so far in just a short amount of time. Well, and, and you got to give a lot of credit to Matt Cockle, their general manager, James Patrick, their head coach, and and the group of folks that they have. Uh, uh, Jake Heisinger along in there with their with their scouting department. I mean, they've they've put together a good young team. It helped to have back to back, you know, the first and second overall picks in the 2019 prospects draft, and they were able to get Matthew Savoy and Connor Geeky back to back. And here they are; they've been in the top. 20 in scoring for pretty much the entire season and they're only 17 years old and stand to possibly be there for another couple of years after this year. So the ice have been very fortunate what they've been able to do. It it helped to have Peyton Krebs kind of be a conduit from taking that franchise from Cranbrook into Winnipeg and providing them with a real superstar right off the hop and then build around him and then watch as everybody kind of learned what it was all about to be a good junior hockey player like Peyton Krebs was. And now you see all these other fellows coming along, like you mentioned, McLennan, Geeky, Savoy, uh, Ben Zlotti. Uh, all those people are, have been tremendous for the Winnipeg Ice moving forward. And a lot of that comes with just a good job of putting the team together and making sure that you had a good product to put in front of Winnipeggers as an option for the Jets, which is a very expensive option, the Moose, which not as expensive, maybe slightly more so than it is a junior, but then you have that junior hockey team. And it, and it really does serve, like if you're living the south end of Winnipeg down by the university or in some of the newer developments, Linden Woods in that area, Waverly Heights, you know, you, it's not that far to go to go watch a very good hockey game rather than having to get in the vehicle and troop downtown. It doesn't sound like a lot. But really, in Winnipeg, it's a big deal to get in the vehicle and troop downtown in order to go watch a game and try and find a parking spot at, at, at Bell MTS. So uh, I think it's uh, I think it's great what they've been able to do in Winnipeg, and I think there is room for that junior major junior franchise finally in my hometown because I remember growing up with the junior teams in the old Western Canada Hockey League, the Jets, the clubs, the Monarchs, and then the Warriors eventually before they ended up moving off to Moose Jaw in 1984. And the rich history of hockey in Winnipeg is something that some fans outside of the province may not be as, they may not know as much about it because of, like you mentioned, like the old WHA days when the Jets first came to Winnipeg, the house was rocking. Even if, if old Winnipeg arena was very small, people were crazy for the Jets. And I don't know that we've seen the same franchise leave and come back to life after a departure to an American city. With the Nordiques, people are still waiting in Quebec City for that return. Whereas in Winnipeg, they got it with the purchase of the Atlanta Thrashers. And even though it was very tough in 96, I'm sure following pretty closely, even though you weren't necessarily at home, what that transformation was like to see Winnipeg resurrected on the National Hockey League stage. Oh, it was massive. I mean, the the city felt robbed back then. There was a lot of uh, upset with uh, Gary Bettman back at the time, as I recall. Uh, and, you know, the fact that he was able to see it clear to allow uh, the Manitoba Capital to get the team back and take the, uh, the, the struggling Atlanta Thrashers franchise and move it back to a Canadian centre, 
Uh, I mean, it just seemed to go against everything that Gary Bettman was ever wanting. But good on him for allowing it to happen. And folks in Winnipeg should you know, bow down and thank their lucky stars that they were able to get this franchise back. Because like you say, they're waiting in Quebec City. They probably deserve one, that opportunity as well. But uh, they've got a beautiful building as well. But uh, are they going to get it? I don't know. I don't think so. At least not in the foreseeable future, even though there's a franchise that's struggling big time in Arizona and the one in Florida and Sunrise doesn't do all that terribly well. Uh, one of those two should be coming going somewhere. But I would imagine that Bettman and Crum Company would probably find a way to put it into a different American city somewhere along the line, especially when you consider an expansion into Seattle. Uh, which had, hadn't had an NHL franchise since God knows when. You know, this this worked out pretty well. The the, the Kraken are, are cracking, if you pardon the pun. They've done pretty well for themselves here in their initial season in the NHL. And there were a lot of calls, actually, for people saying, well, the Seattle team should be called the Metropolitans, as they once were <laughs> way back in the over 100 years ago. But alas, Seattle, it almost seemed inevitable for them to get an NHL franchise, considering they lost the Supersonics, only have the Seahawks and the Mariners currently but with the return of seattle or with the return of the nhl to seattle it does create that new fan base and that's what they're going for in terms of business i think gary bettman unfortunately when he looks at a city like you know quebec city he says well people here are still going to cheer for the montreal canadians they're going to cheer for the nhl no matter what they still love hockey if we go put a team in houston or in sunrise florida then we're going to try to you know we're, we're going to try to sprout new plants and fans in those Southern American markets where most people don't really follow hockey or know anything about it. And then you get a guy like an Austin Matthews that comes along once in a generation and boom, a guy from Arizona makes all that trouble and struggle trying to force a team in Arizona worth it. Yeah. I know. Did the, the league try and do something to get Matthews to play for the Coyotes at some point in time? The Toronto Maple Leafs wouldn't uh, be all that terribly in favor of it, but uh, certainly uh, that would be something that if that, that that franchise could probably use would be a native son who's a you know an elite player to be able to play for that team. That would be huge for them. But uh, whether that happens eventually or not, we'll see. Growing up, who are some of your hockey heroes or players that you looked looked up to during the time that you were just on the verge of entering your career? Well, go back to the WHA days. Of course, you think of the Jets and the WHA with Bobby Hull and now, and uh, Anders Hedberg, Ulf Nilsson, Lars Eric Schubert, the Holy Goalie Joe Daly, and uh, the, you know, they can go on and on. Uh, people that I still know from, from that are working still in the game, Billy Lazuk. Uh, Peter Sullivan works with NHL Central Scouting. I see him regularly in Saskatchewan, uh, based out of Regina. So those are guys that uh, were were big time heroes of mine uh, as I was in my high school years, going on into uh, into the uh, sports broadcasting world. And what was it specifically that inspired you to go down the road of sports broadcasting? Most people always will say that they loved sports, but was there something in particular that really gave you a strong drive to enter into the industry? Uh, it ended up being a need to have a job because, as I said earlier, being a while, well, I mentioned to you before we got started, uh, writing uh, was my first passion. And I actually was an intern with the Winnipeg Free Press and then moved on to a full-time gig with Jack Matheson and the Winnipeg Tribune until the paper folded. And at that point, a guy with only 14 months experience really didn't have much of a chance of catching on somewhere else in the newspaper game. So somebody suggested, why don't you try radio? You've got a pretty good voice. And 
Okay. So I made, met up with a couple of people and the next thing you know, I've got a job in Brandon and it goes on from there. I've been doing radio sports and radio broadcasting for, dare I say, 41 years, almost 42 now. So it's, uh, it's been quite a while, but, uh, it's the, the passion's still there. I still enjoy getting up and coming to work. And then especially on game days, the game days really drive me because I enjoy, I'm a, I'm a fan first and foremost, and I enjoy seeing well played sports, be it hockey, be it basketball. I've done pretty much everything at some point in time. I've done football, basketball, baseball, uh, heck, even curling on the radio. Uh, so, you know, if, if there's a well-played sport, doesn't matter which one it is, but especially if it's now junior hockey, then I know that I can get jacked up to get going and, and really give it my all and make sure that my enthusiasm and what is going on on the ice or on the playing surface comes through to the listener, to the person who's watching as well. When most young sports broadcasters enter the industry, a lot of people have their sights set on the highest levels possible, be it NHL, NFL, NBA, or CFL, for that matter, in Canada. And sometimes people don't necessarily look at a place like the Western Hockey League as one that they can call home for a long time. But you've been one that's called that has called the Western Hockey League home, especially Saskatoon, for nearly three decades. Initially, was the Western Hockey League one of the main goals on your radar? And if it was or wasn't, how can you reflect back now on where the journey has taken you compared to maybe where you thought you wanted to end up at the beginning? I think in my case, I'm different than the normal career path in that I went from Brandon for two and a half years into Winnipeg and worked for my hometown station, CJOB, and they had the rights near the end of my time for both the Blue Bombers and the Jets. And I did do a lot of pre- and post-game show hosting, intermission hosting, uh, some color commentary of Jets NHL games in, from 1991 through 93. Uh, so I hit those pinnacles. Those were all goals to reach. But I wasn't on the radar, so to speak, for that station to do those things on a full-time basis. I was sort of like the backup guy. And backup was fine, but it wasn't giving me the opportunity to spread my wings and go. So when the opportunity came to move to Saskatoon, and people would go, well, you're going from Winnipeg in the NHL to Saskatoon in the Western Hockey League. But I was getting an opportunity to do the things that I wanted to do, and that was play-by-play and follow a team all the time, not just, okay, somebody's not available to go to on this trip or somebody's not available to be able to do a home game this night. Can you do it sort of a thing? It was sort of a, a day-to-day whether you're going to be involved with the Jets and the NHL or the Blue Bombers and the CFL on a day-to-day basis. This way, I knew that this was what's going to be in front of me and I had to be ready to go every time out. And there was no, you know, I, it was my job to have. So I was, uh, to, to come here, I wouldn't call it the pinnacle of my career, but I was pretty happy. I thought I might maybe get another opportunity in the NHL. And I did have a couple of chances to move to Calgary back in the late 90s and in the early 2000s. Uh, I turned them both down because in the end, uh, I was making more money here in Saskatoon than I was in Calgary or would have been in Calgary. So uh, it, it just seemed like a good idea to stay where I was and, and continue to enjoy and, and come carve my path here. And it, it ends up working out pretty well as far as I'm concerned. It has worked out pretty well considering the stretch 
of games that you've done for the Blades. And even though they haven't had maybe the success mm-hmm. that one would hope, especially when working with the team, they, they've still had some very memorable moments as hosting, as they hosted the Memorial Cup in 2013 when they beat uh, the Halifax Mooseheads with former or with future NHL star Nathan McKinnon. And you noted that that was one of the most memorable games that you had called, despite the fact that the Blades haven't won the Memorial Cup. It's still great to have moments like that that you can look back on and smile for sure. Oh, absolutely, Matthias. There's all kinds of them. That that one stands out over and above any of them. But there are so many great moments, comeback wins, uh, you know, being behind, I think, one night against Regina, they were down 6-1 going into the third period, came back and won 7-6 in overtime. Uh, and those sorts of things happen uh, all the time. Uh, you know, there once or twice in a the season, there's great moments like that that happen. And, you know, to start trying to pick them all out is very difficult. But the game against Halifax really stands out. And, uh, you know, historical moments, Lauren Mulliken, who was the longtime GM and head coach of the team, winning his 400th career Western Hockey League game as a coach was, was a big night in Lethbridge one evening. And then there's all kinds of those like that. So, um there's a lot of fun times, fun memories from over 28 seasons in the Western Hockey League for sure. And hopefully before you'd hang them up to be able to see the Saskatoon Blades win the Memorial Cup and bring it home would, I'm sure, be one of your favorite memories, if not the most favorite one. If oh, that absolutely. Yeah. You know, that would be that would be the pinnacle, absolutely, to be able to do that. I mean, even just to win a Western Hockey League championship because the team has been to the final a few times in its history, not since 1994, though. Uh, so they've had a tough goal trying to get through the second round of the playoffs. That's the best they've done. And I, I shudder to say that that's probably the way it's been for me ever since I've been here. And I don't want to consider myself a jinx because I have absolutely nothing to do with how they end up doing things on the ice. But there would be people that would say that. Uh, but having, you know, despite all that, uh, it would be fun to be able to get on one of those long playoff runs that take you all the way through and find a way to win that elusive WHL title at some point in time before I finally decide, well, either I decide to hang up or somebody tells me to get the heck out of the booth because we've had enough of you already. (laughs) Winning the Memorial Cup for WHL teams isn't something that has come along as often as fans would think, considering the last time that a team from the Western Hockey League won the Memorial Cup was 2008. So it's been quite some time that the Memorial Cup has resided in the Western part of the country, but winning a WHL championship still on the cusp for the Blades to achieve. They've done pretty well this year. Haven't fared with the likes of the Oil Kings or the Ice, but no matter, once you get to the playoffs, I think that anything is possible. And with guys like Tristan Robbins, as well as Kyle Krinkovich, Two outstanding stars for the Blades. They have some offensive firepower there that could surprise teams and make a long run. Yeah, they've also got a goaltender by the name of Nolan Meyer, who uh, is in his fifth and final season. He's 21 years old now, uh, an overage goaltender that they're going to lean on a lot. And he has the capability of winning a series on his own by just being spectacular. We saw him the other night beat the Oil Kings in Saskatoon, stopping 38 of 39. So there's been examples of that all season long so if he's on and if they can get some of the goal scoring their power play this is the best power play i've seen on a blades team in 28 season operating at you know 28 29 percent proficiency which is really crazy as far as i'm concerned uh, if they can follow that up and keep that sort of thing going 
into the playoffs, then sure. But it's not going to be easy. I like to say that the Blades will be a tough out for somebody because you know, teams like, and we mentioned, you've mentioned them, the Edmonton Oil Kings, the Winnipeg guys, I'll throw the word Red Deer Rebels into that mix as well as being a really good team in the Eastern Conference. One of those three is, is going to come through, I would have to imagine, and be looked upon as the favorite. And two of them are probably going to meet each other in the second round, which is unfortunate, but hey, that's just the way it goes. And that's part of the reason too, Matthias, is why we haven't had a Western Hockey League team win a Memorial Cup in so long, because there's so many good teams, it seems, in each season. Uh, whereas the Ontario League and the Quebec League seem to try and load up two or three teams tops and everybody else sort of lays back and says, okay, we'll have our turn another time. We've got a mountain of draft picks that maybe we'll turn into a pretty good team down the line. In the Western League, you don't do those sorts of deals. You don't make those sorts of trades to load up one or two teams and to hope that they win the title and then go on and win the Memorial Cup. You're all trying to beat each other's brains out. And by the time somebody wins the Western Hockey League Championship, they're generally physically and emotionally spent and don't have a lot of time to turn it back around and get out to uh, the Memorial Cup. And I think back to the Prince Albert Raiders in 2019, who were as good of a Western Hockey League champion as I've seen in the last two decades. And they just had nothing to go out east and play in the Memorial Cup and were swept out of the thing and losing all three games that they played in the round robin. It was unfortunate because they just didn't show the type of team that they were throughout the regular season and throughout the playoffs and winning their second WHL title in franchise history. It's so unfortunate when you look at how those things turn out because you're right. When you're battling against other super, super hard teams, it's like in the NHL when you have the Metropolitan Division with some of the strongest teams and they're going to knock each other out, like teams that could basically play for the Stanley Cup Finals. And then by the time they get to the Finals, like, oh, well, another team can just, you know, Maybe not always win because usually the usually the best team wins, but it's tough to see Capitals, Penguins, and or the Rangers in years when they're good, or the Lightning, you know, all play against each other in the first two rounds, and then what do you have next? That happened with the Winnipeg Jets in 2018, right when they had to play against Nashville in one of the craziest slugfest knockdown drag them out series, and then they play against Vegas, who are well rested, boom, four one, and that's it, and we haven't yeah. seen anything close since. Yeah, well, but that's, you know, at least though in the National Hockey League, you've got multi-million dollar budgets, you've got multi-million dollar player salaries. Uh, you're expected to be, and everybody is expected to be good and competitive. So to say that you're going to load up one team or another and, and, and not worry that you're going to have an easy time through, nobody should have an easy time in any professional league, be it the NHL, be it the NFL, you know, be it Major League Baseball or the NBA, in all four of the big, you know, the big four major sports, you should have a tough time, A, to make a playoff spot and then have an even tougher time. You have to step it up another level in order to get through the playoffs and win that title. You shouldn't have an easy time of it. And I mean, if anybody does have an easy time of it, they've been, they've, they've lucked out, really. They've been very, very fortunate to do that. Uh, what I say they do in Quebec and Ontario, and it just seems that way, is that they make sure that there's a bit of an easier time for their champion to eventually come through. And the Western League doesn't believe in doing that. The Western League believes in doing it the same way as the pros and ends up with a situation where you end up with you know some really good teams playing in the final four and you have knock them down, drag them out type 
seven game series all the way through. Nobody usually wins in four or five games and has an easy time of it and, and gets to rest a little bit. You're, you're generally going all the time for two months straight before you finally win that title. And I mean, if the, if they did it in a way where you would have in the Memorial cup, all the best teams rather than allotting a certain amount of spots per conference or having the teams from Ontario, if they would play cross conference games during the regular season, that would be kind of interesting to see how they would fare when they're up against the toughest competition that you can find rather than playing against teams that aren't necessarily as good. And you see, you see it in other, in, uh, in football, I think maybe not with the intention of stacking one or two teams in the case of university or junior, but you look at the Prairie conference in junior football and you look at the Canada West in football, basically it's the toughest conference. Most of the best teams play in it and there used to be maybe 10 years ago, you'd see the Alberta or Regina get shellacked. Not as much anymore, but you still look in Quebec and Laval, Montreal, Reign Supreme. And Ontario, it's the Westerns, the McMasters, the Guelphs yep. are stepping up and there's a bunch of teams that struggle. And that's, I think, a bit, you know, part of my bias, but a, a bit of what makes those Prairie teams in football and hockey a bit tougher. They don't they don't lie down to anybody. Well, and then I think a lot of it too is, is- where are your young players going when you talk football in Ontario and Quebec, the opportunities to go and play down South, that American uh, scholarship opportunity to maybe play at a big time division one school is, is there more so it seems for those youngsters in, in Ontario and Quebec than it is for the Westerners. There are some in BC that get a chance to go down and play in the, in the pack, in the pack 10, conference but for the most part the prairie guys they hang around and they play for their local university team and the youth sports team and canada west is is a knock them down drag them out type of a conference as well when it comes to that it's very competitive there aren't really any patsies there amongst the six teams so it ends up being a tremendous uh, battle every year although it seems a lot of times it's calgary and the u of s that seem to come through but manitoba has been good and alberta has had their times and regina has had their opportunity uh you know ubc has been good at times so there's no there's not nothing that says that it's a guarantee that the same schools are going to win all the time in Canada West. Unlike, like you say, in, in Ontario and Quebec, where those schools seem to be able to get the best of what's left over of the ones that don't go down and take an American scholarship. And that's the reality of the of yeah. life in Ontario for, for student athletes is yeah. the best don't like you look at Ontario junior football. It's struggled mightily for almost 20 years because the best go to the U S then the next best stay in Canada. And then the leftovers, whatever there are, will play junior football in Ontario. And it kind of does a disservice to the conference because when you look at how talented and how lopsided it seems with the Prairies and BC, it doesn't give a good picture of how strong the teams could really be in Ontario junior football. In Ontario junior football, they're essentially like farm teams or affiliate teams for the local university. Uh, I remember a few years back, the Saskatoon Hilltops were playing uh, against the London Beefeaters, and the Beefeaters had a very good junior team, except come the playoffs, the Western Mustangs needed a quarterback, and so they grabbed the Beefeaters quarterback, 
took him to the university because that's he was already attending classes there. And suddenly the beef eaters were left without really a competent quarterback to play in the national semifinal game against the Hilltops. And it was a rout. So that sort of a thing happens in Ontario as your local university team ends up taking their nearby junior team's best and pulling them in whatever the heck they need them. And you end up leaving that junior team uh, wanting a fair amount. So, yeah, there's it, it, there's different uh, approaches, different uh, ways of doing business uh, in the various parts of the country and, of course, throughout uh, North America. So it, it's it's different. And uh, I kind of like the way it is out here this way, but you know, different different strokes for different folks, as they say. Absolutely. Les, we are getting towards the end of our time on today's episode, so I did, I did want to ra- ask a few wrap-up questions to have a little bit sure. more fun before we go for today. Sounds good. What is your favorite memory at a basketball game post-childhood? So, like, in your adulthood, what's favorite memory, whether it be working with Brandon, watching an NBA game, or watching any university game locally? I did uh, do play-by-play of the Winnipeg Thunder, of the old world basketball league uh, and just traveling around to some of the places uh, like the first game I ever did was at Florida Atlantic university. The thunder played the Florida Jades back in 1992. And really it was a professional game played in a university gym, but it was still fun. The level of play was so much better than it was at the university level. Uh, Another university game would have been uh, in 1983 when Brandon Bobcats went to the Nationals uh, and lost on a last-second shot uh, that knocked them out. They were they looked like they had it won, and fella came down the court and went way outside. And where he threw the ball up from in the corner would have been a three-pointer. Back then, there were no three-point shots. Uh, still, the three-point play, the three-point shot hadn't even uh, come into play yet. In, in basketball back in 1983, but this kid made the shot from the corner and knocked the Huskies out, and, or not, not knocked the Huskies, but Bobcats out, and uh, that ended up being the end of uh, Brandon University's run for a potential national championship that year. Who are the best group of guys that you've seen form a core of a team that has won a championship in your career yeah, sports broadcasting? So a group of guys you think of, well, um, a trio of offensive players on the Huskies or a trio of players on X team? The best team that I had a chance to broadcast would have been the Winnipeg Gold Eyes in the 1994 Northern League baseball season. I did the one summer before I came to Saskatoon. That was kind of my buffer. Uh, and I did Northern League baseball, the return of the Gold Eyes to Winnipeg and the group of guys that was there that they put together in the second half of the season included a former major league catcher in Dan Billardello uh, behind the plate. Uh, there was a Jim Wilson that played third base that smacked balls all over the yard. Uh, there was a lot of guys that were on that team. I can't remember all the names right offhand, but that group came together in a mighty hurry in the second half of the season, went on a tremendous run and ended up carrying it right on through and winning the championship in their first year back in the Northern league. So that was, that was kind of cool. Uh, And that would be the best core group of guys that I remember. In your opinion, which moment do you think is more iconic in Canadian sports history, Joe Carter's world series winning home run 
or the Raptors winning the 2019 NBA championship? Uh, Joe Carter's home run, but I'll even go one better than that. I'll say Paul Henderson's goal that wins the 1972 Summit Series, Canada and the Soviet Union back uh, in that eight-game series. Being able to come back and have three straight wins in hostile territory in Moscow, uh, when you're not being allowed to sleep, you're being kept awake, uh, the KGB are everywhere, it seemed, according to the people that were there, uh, and yet you somehow found a way to overcome the great Russian team uh, and win that uh, series, to me, is still the greatest moment in Canadian sports history that I've ever seen. I know a lot of people that say, well, Sidney Crosby's golden goal is more iconic than anything that's happened, or Joe Carter, it doesn't matter, or, or maybe not it doesn't matter, but like people say, well, it's an American, you know, American player, or the Jays have him in good sense. But the Summit Series, again, that's, it's something that people, I think, don't let enter the conversation as much as they used to anymore because they look towards things that happened more recently. I guess that's more recency bias. But the Summit Series is something that is still a very important part of Canadian hockey history. Don't worry, that Summit Series is going to be very much in order here very soon. This is going to be the 50th anniversary coming up this September. Be ready to get inundated with history about that particular thing because it was 50 years ago and there's still guys that are still alive from that team that are going to be more than happy to let you know how wonderful that was. And I can think more specifically of a guy like Paul Henderson and even Phil Esposito and those types of people are going to let people know just what that was all about. And I think it's going to be hilarious and it's going to be a lot of fun to, to hear what those folks have to say. Uh, some people's minds might get uh, changed. It's a very subjective thing, Matthias, when you start talking about the greatest and you're trying to compare apples to oranges, that sort of a thing. But I think these apples are going to have a pretty good uh, argument on their hands when it comes to what the greatest Canadian sports moment is once we get to September of uh, this year. And it's going to be the Canadian version, I feel, of The Last Dance, where a lot of people who didn't grow up watching the Michael Jordan era Chicago exactly. Bulls, when they watched it, they were like, wow, like, this is crazy. What? Yeah. They did this? And going back and watching old tapes, and even in our class here at Centennial College Sports Journalism, we're watching the famous interview with Phil Esposito after the one game that they – I can't remember which game it was that they lost, but his – it, it, it was game four in Vancouver afterwards. It is the most famous – interview post game ever done phil esposito telling johnny esau about how they felt badly that they you know they're trying their darndest you know we're embarrassed but we don't what don't give up on us we're going to come back we're going to go over there and we're going to get it done and true to his words canadians were able to go overseas and get it done and get it done they did and with that les i want to thank you for having been on today's episode it was an immense pleasure to be able to chat canadian sports with you especially to learn more at the end of the episode about the excitement that will be buzzing related to the Summit Series 50th anniversary because that is something that I'm going to want to keep a key, keen eye on because the, the context of that history is what makes it so important and relevant to today. Yeah, back then I was 13 years old, but I still remember it like it was yesterday, to tell you the truth, Matthias. So thank you for the time. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for the, for the opportunity. And thank you to the listener for enjoying today's episode with the voice of the Saskatoon Blades, Les Lazarek. First and goal from the one. This is it. Stegall. Touchdown. Matt Stegall. Touchdown. Regal. 138. And he's the all-time Canadian Football League. Touchdown, King. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Check out our social media pages for more at Huddle Up 
underscore MB. For full audio, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For full video, head over to YouTube at Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Tune in next week for another great episode. See you next time.